Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash, making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no Welcome to Escaping Society, episode 14, Herbalism Unplugged. I'm Teresa. And I'm Gumby. And I think we're going to start off with a story. So Gumby, take it away. Well, this is a story that when I was working uh, at Schoolhouse of Wonder, when I first started teaching, we used to tell the kids. And um, we'd take a lot of liberties with these native stories. I always just hope that um, any native people would, like, be happy that we're trying to connect kids with nature, but... Um, if you're Cherokee and you've heard this story and I totally screw it up, please definitely contact us and let me know um, <laughs> what I need to correct. But the way I heard this story is a long time ago, people and all the animals and all the plants, all the tribes of all the different beings used to talk one language. Um, there was harmony and we all spoke the same language and though we had to take energy from each other, there was an understanding, there was a reciprocity and a thanksgiving. Um, there was the standing tribe, which was, uh, what we would call the tree people and the stone tribe of the rock people. Everybody gave something and in turn, everybody took something. Well, the two-leggeds, our tribe, were considered one of the weaker tribes, Um, We didn't have the thick fur of some of the the stronger tribes to get us through the winter. We didn't have the the keen senses of of other tribes. Um, But we did have a unique style of cleverness. And we started using that cleverness to take. And we took and we took. And the tribe that got hit the most was the animal tribe. We took more meat than we needed. We didn't just eat what we needed anymore, we started worrying that maybe what if what if we didn't have enough meat for the next two weeks, the next month? So we started storing meat. We started hoarding meat. We started weighing our, our worth by how much meat we could store and how much meat we could take. So the tribes of the animals had a council. And, of course, they were troubled by the two-legged, the two-legged tribe, the human tribe, how much they were taking. And they decided they had to put a stop to it. We have to go to war with the humans. We have to stop this. We cannot allow this. Otherwise, we'll be exterminated. And the humans are so foolish, they'll they'll be exterminated along with us. But they don't know it. So we've got to put this to a stop. So the story says that the animals had powers, that were all sorcerers in these different tribes. And the animals each had a power that they could bring. So anytime we'd kill an animal and we'd take too much... In turn, it would um, give us one of our diseases that are known today. For instance, if we killed a snake for no reason, for no good reason, maybe we'd begin to have nightmares. If we killed a deer, maybe we'd begin to have stomach troubles. Every animal has a disease that it would bring to the world. Um, And as we took, the animals would give these diseases, and it was the first diseases that the human tribe had ever known. Before that, we were all healthy. We didn't have disease. Um, But the plant tribes, they said, well, we speak, we will speak at this council on behalf of the humans because we're abused as much as anyone. They take from us. They decimate us. They eat us without giving thanks. But we have faith that the humans maybe one day will remember their their purpose, the plan, the the great mystery, and they will come back around. And they will remember the true way of living that brings everything back in harmony. So we're going to give a medicine for every illness that the animals visit upon the human tribe. And that's the basis of the Cherokee plant medicine story. They believe that the plants 
Believe in us. The plants are waiting for us to come back around and remember our true place and that everything exists in harmony with one another. And the plants offer medicines for all the diseases that the, the animals have um, summoned to protect themselves. So, sorry Cherokee people for my telling of that, but I love that story. I love the way it makes me think about the plants as my, my close friends and my allies. And I'm very thankful for that story, even if I have a clumsy telling of it and a clumsy remembrance of it. Mm. And I really like it too, because I want to walk in the world with nature and in harmony with nature. So that story just reminds me that I've got some friends and some allies out there, even if it doesn't always look like it. And something that I had heard about from another, um, from a teacher actually, is that plants sometimes find you. So maybe you don't even know that you've got an illness. Maybe, you know, as you're getting older, you're starting to develop something, whether it's a chronic disease or I'm not sure what. But if you look around your yard, if you look around the land where you live, you might start to see a pattern of plants that are growing. And maybe, just maybe, that might be the medicine for you. I'm not saying that I know that for a fact, but I have known people to, for example, have uh, chronic headaches and they look around and there's a particular plant in their yard that's good for migraines or good for like blood thinners. So it could also help with headaches. Um, so that's something to think about. And uh, Gumby and I actually compiled a list of some plants that we've firsthand had experience with. Were you going to say something? No, I just uh, was going to add when you're done about that, that plants sometimes find you to pay attention to which of these plants are growing in your yard. Um, I love this idea that plants find you because instead of just, you know, having random plants in your yard, consider for a moment, what if the plants in your yard, when you start learning the gifts they offer, mm -hmm. are gifts specifically for you? They're growing there because you are there. Um, I think that's a powerful way to start looking at things. Yeah, because we're all part of this ecosystem. And so just like in a forest, if there is something that's maybe lacking and then something grows up, it's growing up for a reason, whether it is to replenish the soil or because there's a depletion in the soil. So if we think of ourselves as part of this whole system of life, then it starts to make sense that what if the plants are growing because we have something depleted in our bodies and they know it. And uh, I guess the first one you were going to talk about is... Mm -hmm. And I think we have a video on this, so definitely check out our YouTube video. But the first one I wanted to talk about was Plantago major or Plantago lanceolata. Um, they're two species in the same group, and they both share the same um, medicinal properties. Um, one of the names for this plantain was white man's foot. Um, my understanding is that native tribes, the indigenous tribes of America, generally stayed away from this one because it was brought over in the ballast of ships. So they'd come over in these ships, they'd dump out the soil in these ballasts, and they'd inadvertently have seeds. And one of those was plantain. Um, it was used as a medicinal herb back in Europe by um, a lot of the people that remembered their native origins. Um, but the native people, as smallpox is being introduced, as all these awful things are happening, this bad medicine, suddenly this new plant that they'd never seen before, and consider the implications of that to an indigenous tribe, they're intimately familiar with all the nuances of their landscape. Mm -hmm. They're hunters, they're trackers, they're herbalists. So to have a new plant, I mean, that in itself is extraordinary. And at the same time, there's a new disease like no other. I mean, this is a disease that's taking two out of three people. It's decimating your tribe. So you can imagine that, you know, you might be a little gun shy about this plant. Um, but in Europe, this plant was used as a medicine. And one of the chief... Um, uses I know for this plant is a remedy for bee stings and insect bites. Mm -hmm. um, it's my favorite plant to introduce kids to when I'm teaching kids as a first plant because it's pretty safe, it's very common, it's pretty easy to identify, and it's, you know, this list of plants, we, we've heard of all kinds of plants that are medicinal. This list is plants that we have seen work. We testify to them. Um, and plantain, I've seen it work. I've seen people take a leaf from the plantain leaf and look at the video for identification. Um, it's got a big rounded leaf. It's got veins that run parallel on the underside that I always tell the kids look kind of glued on. 
Um, you chew it up and you make what's called a field poultice. So you just chew it and chew it until it doesn't even look like a plant anymore. It's like chewed up spinach. And then you put that directly on the bee sting or the bug bite. And not only does it have a drawing power, a really strong drawing power as it, as it dries to suck out venom, to suck out a sting, but it also is medicinal. If it's a particularly bad, um, and it's also good for minor wounds. I've heard that being debatable. Um, and the debate is that if you chew it up, you've got germs in your mouth. So you're putting that on the wound. I've used it on wounds. I've always liked it. So that's the way I lean on that debate, but I understand the concern. Um, but yeah, you smack that right on a bug bite or a bee sting. And I have seen it work wonders. I've even heard people testify that they needed like uh, epinephrine and didn't have it. And so you use plantain in desperation and it got them through. Um, so yeah, besides my personal experience, just story after story of this plant working. Um, oh, and another thing that I've heard works really good is if you mix plantain 50-50 with mud, mud in itself, when it dries, has a drawing power. So say you put that on a bee sting, it's really good for a bee sting because the mud will suck the sting right out. The plantain will treat the wound and it'll heal really quick. And to strengthen it, use it internally as well. Make a strong tea, drink it. You can make a strong, even stronger tea as a skin wash. I've, I've used this to treat poison ivy before. So plantain's one of my, my favorite medicinal plants. Mm-hmm. And that reminded me too, I was stung once in my life so far um, by a wasp. And I ha- it happened to be on a plant walk. And we had just kind of learned about plantain. And so here I am picking a leaf and chewing it up, spitting it out and putting it on my wasp sting. And sure enough, I thought that I was going to have pain. I thought I was going to have a swelling in my finger, and none of that happened. It was a little painful at first, and then over the course of an hour, pain was absolutely gone. No swelling happened. Another plant that I have direct experience with just recently, and I am so excited, is milkweed. And the way that we used this, uh, we actually also have a video on our YouTube channel for milkweed, is you ask the plant, you identify it, you ask the plant, like, may I have this leaf? And when you take the leaf off, it's going to let out a little bit of this white liquidy stuff. It's a latex. And you take the leaf and you dab it on a wart or some sort of growth that's on your skin. Now, I... About two, two and a half years ago, I got my first fire ant bite. And this first fire ant bite, I don't know what it was about it, but it turned into this huge, nasty wart on my foot. And yeah, you might be able to see it in the video. Well, I can say today, and this was a few weeks ago that we started implementing this treatment. You take a leaf and you um, dab the leaf on your wart uh, once, no, excuse me, twice a day for two weeks. Is that right, Gumby? That's considered just the kind of safe dosage for whatever, um, but I've, I'm actually treating like a little mole on top of like next to my eye. And when I did that twice a week for two days, it went away pretty well, but it's coming back. So I think that's something you adjust compared, like depending on what you're treating. Yeah, and something that Gumby told me about when when we were doing this, because I was, I saw a little bit of a change, like the wart was getting smaller on my foot, but it was still there. And he was like, well, just wait, because a few weeks after it may actually just completely disappear. And so I can attest that today I can look down at my foot and I have a little bit of a white patch. Yeah, that's dramatic. Yeah, it is. The, the wart is gone. Um, what's left is kind of a a place on my skin that I need to exfoliate a little bit more. So I'm like occasionally when we go down to the river to bathe, uh, well, we do that every day, but when I can remember, I take some river sand and I just scrub that area and it's getting less and less and it's just amazing. So yeah, milkweed. Yeah. And I want to say that I had a wart, um, that was between like the crease of my finger and it was there for like two years. I mean, it was really uncomfortable. I'd, I'd clench a fist and I could feel it. Um, and I used milkweed and it immediately started softening it. And then one day I just like, it, it subtly got rid of it. So one day I looked for it. I remembered I used to have a wart there and it was gone. Mm -hmm. So milkweed is definitely one I will personally testify to. Um, wild mustard. Nope, that's you. Well, 
Uh, wild mustards. Um, we've got a pretty long list here, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to try not to talk too much about all these plants. But wild mustard is both a good edible. Um, what I use it for medicinally is to um, chew it up. So I'll make another field poultice, just like with a plantain, and it's great for sore muscles. You can chew it up and chew it up quite a bit and just kind of make a pack for whatever muscle is giving you trouble, and you'll feel it heat up. It's a, it's a natural hot pack, and it's amazing. Um, a lot of people ask me, what are the chemicals that are active in this? Not only do I do, don't know, I don't really care. I mean, to <laughs> me, the chemicals are just sort of you know, a name we give things to try to pretend like we have some understanding of what's going on. All I need to know is the plants are giving me a gift, that the plant medicine works or it doesn't. And uh, I guess we'll talk a little bit later about like kind of the bigger picture of plant medicine, but going through the list, that's wild mustard. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we definitely have some videos on that. And I find this to be true of all mustards to different degrees. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so far we've talked about a few plants that seem to grow I don't know, fairly widespread. We're in the southeast of the United States. Um, This next one, though, I have not actually seen growing, but I have held a piece of the root um, in my possession. Uh, So actually, a friend of mine, Jason Crazy Bear, he gave each of us a piece of this OSHA root, O-S-H-A. It's also known as bear root. Um, So out west in the United States, this grows and it's known to be a bear medicine. So if you're a part of a indigenous tribe, you might understand that better than I do. But I can, again, I can say that OSHA root helped clear my lungs of something that would not go away for a long time. And I actually used this in a tincture. Um, they no longer they no longer sell it, and we'll talk a little bit more about tinctures and and things that you can buy at places like Whole Foods. But I can actually attest to OSHA root as being something that was a medicine for me, and I appreciate that plant to no end. So I had gone on an international flight, and somebody that was near where I was sitting had a horrible cough, so bad that they had to let down the oxygen mask and put it on her so that, and this is, I'm serious, so that she could breathe because she was coughing so much. Well, after being on that flight with her for, I don't know, like 12 hours, I came down with something and I could not shake it. And when I coughed, I just, I was losing the whole battle with life. Like I wasn't in the hospital or anything, but I just, I was tired of coughing. It rattled my body so much and I just got exhausted. And this was after weeks and weeks of being sick and going to the doctor back here in the United States and nothing helped. So I was taking this OSHA root tincture and I started to be able to cough more productively. And it was as if the sickness had gotten so deep in the lobes of my lower lungs that nothing else could touch it. But this OSHA root tincture, it was called OSHA Supreme by Gaia Herbs. I don't think they sell it anymore because it works. Um, It did the trick. And that was after rounds of antibiotic from the doctor. That was after the expectorant that you get over the counter at the drugstore. None of that worked. The OSHA root worked. And I believe, I think I looked it up once because it smells like celery So I think it's related to the celery family in some way. But like Gumby says, it kind of doesn't matter to me what the properties are of the plant. I am just really in awe of this bear medicine, OSHA root. Yeah, and I think that's the only plant that you're not likely to find, like, growing near your home um, in most parts of America. Um, And the next plant I want to talk about, (laughs) and this one doesn't grow near my home, where I usually call home in Durham in the Piedmont of North Carolina, but I do find it in the mountains a lot, and every now and then in the Piedmont. Um, Stinging nettle. The genus name of stinging nettle is Urtica, and urtification is the name given to when you beat yourself with a stinging nettle and you get that pain, that, that burning of the stinging nettle. Now, why would you do that? Because <laughs> you've got a sore muscle. Um, I've got a really bad back, and it's been bothering me lately. I wish I could find... Actually, I'm in the mountains right now. We're actually <laughs> done with summer camp, so we're uh, slowly making our way north along the Blue Ridge Parkway, enjoying, uh, enjoying the high elevations and the coolness of the mountains, even though we're sitting in the blistering hot sun at the moment. <laughs> Come on, clouds. But, um, yeah, stinging nettle. It's great for having a sore muscle, a cramp, 
and hitting yourself with it and you get that stinging and the stinging lasts for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. But when it goes away, it takes the cramp with it. Um, I took an herbalism class with Suki Roth, who's an herbalist in our area in Graham, North Carolina. And she was explaining it. And I had a finger cramp that would not go away. This thing was like at least for two weeks. It was just, you know, bothering me. Um, I don't know what happened, but every time I bent my finger or even just like held it straight, I could feel this cramp. So I decided, all right, you know, you say this thing works, like why not try it right now? So I hit my finger with a stinging nettle. Um, and I also hit the inside of my wrist with stinging nettle because I also wanted to see what would treat it, what would get rid of the sting. And I treated one wrist with snakeberry and I treated another wrist with plantain poultice. Well, when the sting went away on the finger, the cramp for the first time in weeks went with it. I had no trace of the cramp. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer in stinging nettle. As far as what treated the sting, the snake berry gave immediately res- immediate results, but it uh, I feel like the sting came back a little bit. The plantain worked a little bit slower, but when it was gone, it was gone. So I know that's not a very scientific uh, study, but I encourage you to experiment with that. But stinging nettle, yeah, if you got a muscle cramp, try hitting yourself with stinging nettle. The sting, the temporary sting is worth it if it makes that cramp go away. And there's different types of nettles. There's like a wood nettle that doesn't give a sting at all. Gumby. Wood nettle can give a, a slight sting, but stinging nettle is really the one that gives enough of a sting um, to be medicinal. Like you'll know if you brush past stinging nettle because it'll kind of be a burning And feeling. I think it's formic acid, which I think is the same thing fire ants use. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not a chemist, so I get wrong about a lot of these things when I delve into that, that area, but... But check out, yeah, check out the video that we have. I think we have on Stinging Nettle. Do we have one? Yeah, we got one on Stinging Nettle. All right. And another one that uh, Gumby mentioned that I was going to talk about briefly was Snakeberry. And I know we have a video on this because a lot of people have been looking it up. And what is it called? Hobo Burn Medicine? Hobo Burn Medicine. And it is our top watched YouTube video for some (laughs) mysterious reason we can't fathom. So it's also known as what? Indian Strawberry or False Strawberry? Indian Strawberry. Yeah. False Berry. Yeah. And a lot of times you'll find it even in very manicured yards. So it, at first glance, looks like a tiny little strawberry. And you can eat it, although it's not really tasty at all. It's one of those that's edible, but it's not really palatable. Um, we've used it on hikes when we were uh, we were expecting to get water. So we, like, drank all of our water. And then we were, like getting overheated, hiking, exerted, and our mouth was getting dry. So we found some of these snake berries, these false strawberries, and we just popped them in our mouth and it gave a little bit of juice. Uh, But like Gumby mentioned with the stinging nettle uh, experiment that he did, snake berry can also help with any sort of burns or stinging. And that was the only way he could coax me into trying the stinging nettle for myself because he was saying, okay, right after it, we're going to put snakeberry and see if that soothes it. And it really did. So I was really impressed with snakeberry. Yeah, and yarrow, um, the next plant I want to talk about is really good for stopping bleeding. Um, The time I always think of that really um, yarrow presented itself to me and I was, you know, became a convert was I stepped on a light bulb that had broken. I stepped on a little piece of glass, and my foot just started bleeding, and it would not stop bleeding. And uh, my ex-girlfriend was really into medicinal plants, and she went out, knew where the aura was, came back in, chewed it up, field poultice, just like the plantain, put it on my foot. Bleeding stopped immediately. It was dramatic. Mm. Um, So yarrow, not only does it stop bleeding, which I think is, its for me, its chief medicinal use, its chief gift, But it's also antibacterial. So when I went on a walkabout expedition with a wilderness survival group in uh, one of the deserts of Washington, we were taught to use that as a hand-washing plant. Um, There wasn't much water around, so if you went to use the bathroom, you'd find some yarrow, which is really plentiful there, and just rub it on your hands. And, of course, it smelled good, and according to them, of course, you can't see the bacteria die. You just have to take that on faith, but it killed the bacteria. Um... Yeah, and yarrow is just kind of an all-around good plant to know, and it's one of the first plants I learned. My mom learned yarrow when she was getting into, into medicinal herbs, and she taught me that plant before I started learning a lot of plants and teaching her in return. Mm-hmm. And it's got a very distinctive look to it. If you look amongst the greenery, you'll see this very fuzzy-looking 
kind of leaf or, or what would you call that, like a blade or leaf or something? Yeah, a leaf, and it's uh, we've got a video on it, and it has a really distinctive smell, too. Mm-hmm. Once you get to know the smell of yarrow, there's no mistaking that for anything else. And it's interesting, though, too, because just like with a lot of, just with everything in life, there's a lot of personalities. So some of the yarrow is more pungent than others, and I don't know, maybe just the land that it grows on it, it either is like really strong or it's kind of just a meek, mild smell, but... Um, Okay, so the next one we don't have a video on, but you're probably familiar with the pine tree. And the part that is something that I've used before is the needles. And you just, again, ask the tree, may I have some? And we're talking about the green needles, not the <laughs> not the dead um, brown needles that people use for landscaping. So he takes uh, maybe, I don't know, a handful, small handful of the pine needles and it works better I think if you chop them up a little bit doesn't have to be small but just kind of um, cut them up a little and put them into hot water yeah that's a general rule of thumb with uh, making medicinal teas like plant medicine is if you want it stronger expose more plant surface so chopping it up and we were just talking about pine needle tea Um, it has a lot of vitamin C in it right Gumby yep and I guess my experience with it that I've I've really enjoyed is when we do these uh, survival overnights and maybe we can't bring any food in. So we're foraging for something and uh, I don't know, not a lot of times, but sometimes we can't find anything to eat. And if you can find water, which you're probably going to want to boil anyway to make it safe, and you can usually find pine trees in North Carolina, pretty much wherever you go, grab a handful of, of the needles and chop them up, put them in your water, and you've got something that's not only warming to your stomach and helping you with your hunger pangs, but also can help you to ward off any illness that, you know, if you're out in the wilderness and it's cold or something, if you're feeling worn down, that can help with your immunity. Yeah, big boost to your immune system. It even tastes like Theraflu. It's kind of got a lemony taste. Um, Mullen, (laughs) yeah. Mullen is a really powerful plant. Um, I was taught to revere mullen, especially um, by one of my teachers, Tom Brown, in the Tracking Nature and Wilderness Survival School. Um, yeah, there's one right near us, actually. Teresa's pointing out. <laughs> so another teacher across the country taught me that if you need toilet paper, it's a great toilet paper, which it's big, it's fuzzy. So I don't know. I always I'm on the fence about that. You know, like. Um, I believe all plants are sacred, so to pick one out and say this one's sacred, especially, I I don't know how I feel about that. I'll leave that to the listener to decide. Um, But I do know that it's a very powerful plant. It's known for, you can dry out the leaves and smoke it as a vasodilator and decongestant. Um, I've tried that. I've had mixed results. It's not my favorite. I'll talk about my favorite in a minute. But what I have tried that was really powerful was the mullen flowers. These yellow yellow flowers that come out on the, the stalk, it's a biennial, so on the second year stalk, these yellow flowers just form a cone. When you pick those flowers, dry them out and make a tea, they are powerful. <laughs> I had a cold one time, and my mom decided to experiment on me and make me some mullein tea to help kick the cold. Oh, your mom. Well, I drank that mullein tea, and let me tell you, you can overdose on this stuff. Um, I drank it. She made it strong. And the next morning, I could not wake up. I mean, I woke, I got up, but I was like in this fog. I had to call into work and take the day off. <laughs> I could not rouse myself. So all I could do was sleep the next day. But the day after that, that cold was gone. So that's a plant that I, you know, I think there's plants that kind of help us in a subtle way. And that's most plants. But every now and then there's this powerful plant you really got to be careful with. I put mullen in the second category. Um, it's a plant that I would keep in mind. I know it works, but definitely be careful with this one. It's a powerful plant. Mm, and sometimes what you need is to get yourself knocked out and just rest. So that was really definitely uh, magical for you to do that, to have that experience. Another plant that I've always found to be one of those sacred plants is uh, elder an elderberry. So I have not personally made anything with elderberries, but I know a lot of people who enjoy elderberry jam or jelly, 
And sometimes people even make like a syrup with it to put on their pancakes and they give that to their kids with the hope that that'll keep them healthy throughout the year. My experience is mostly with a tincture. And again, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, usage of a plant. But I, I have come across elderberry. Um, Gumby actually took some clippings of an elderberry and planted it in our yard when we still had a yard. Yeah, it's the easiest plant I know of if you want to grow trees, just to take a clipping and stick the branch in the ground. And uh, I've had the highest success rate with that than any other plant. Yeah, and I think I, I really appreciate that too. Like elderberry is willing to, to grow. It wants to be around us and help us. Mm-hmm. And I think elderberry more than... Other plants for me, for the medicine, it reminds me to really stay in tune with my body. So it might not be working for you if you've already got a cold. But if you start to feel run down, the first sign of feeling run down, like, whoa, that was hard for me to wake up, or, oh, man, it's like I'm really dragging ass today, get some elderberry, elderberry syrup, or whatever you can find. If you have... um, elderberry growing near you get to know it like establish a relationship with that plant because it will help strengthen you but you can't just wait until it's time to go to the doctor and get an antibiotic it really forces you to stay in tune with your body and I'm not an herbalist by any means Um, I like to like kind of go to one plant at a time um, when I feel like I want the gift the medicine and to see how that affects my body. But one mix that I've had that really impressed me was, I believe it was peppermint leaves, elderberry flowers, and maybe yarrow flowers, dried and mixed together into a tea. Um, A teacher I was working with was really practicing herbalism in a lot more serious way than I was. And I had a flu, I had this horrible cold, and she gave me this tea, and it was like a switch got turned on. I just started profusely sweating. I poured sweat. And like the mullen tea, I was knocked right out. (laughs) Um, The next morning, I woke up, and that was out of my body. So I am a big um, believer, a big fan of peppermint leaves, elderberry flowers, and yarrow flowers. If I'm getting that right, I hope I am. But those three mixed together are more powerful than the sum of their parts. So um, if you see that mix, definitely experiment with that. Give that a try. Mm-hmm. So again, like if you're if you're paying attention to your body, the elderberry um, syrup or tincture or however you want to prepare it. And then if you've already gotten a little further along, maybe try the peppermint elderberry and yarrow mixture um, and gumby. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said that mullen wasn't my favorite smoking mix, so here's my favorite smoking um, plant, and it's sumac. Now, I've studied with another herbalist in our area, Wild Will, Do- Wild Will Andres in Hillsborough, North Carolina, and he's taught me a lot. I think he said his favorite is smooth sumac, um, wing sumac being his least favorite. My experimentation with it is I actually used wing sumac and was impressed with the results. So, so far right now in my life, I'm thinking I like all sumac. But when it gets later in the year and the leaves turn red, you can pick them, you can finish drying them out, powder them. And when I roll them into a joint, when I smoke them in a pipe, however I can get them into my lungs, um, they make a dramatic difference, and I like the taste of it. Mullen feels kind of rough on me. Mm. It's like it's got these hairy leaves. It just is really rough. Sumac, to me, is really smooth. So there was a time I had a really bad cold that wouldn't go away. I kept coughing. Um, the same ex-girlfriend that got me the yarrow leaves really pushed the sumac. She's like, well, you should try this. We got the sumac. Try it. I had a sore throat. The last thing I wanted to do was smoke anything. Mm. But eventually, out of desperation, I'm like, all right, I'll give it a try. So I put some in a pipe, took a big hit, and to my amazement, my lungs, for the first time in a long time, opened up. Like that big hit, it was like my lungs were huge. And when I let it out, it was the first first good breath I'd taken in days. And it also soothed my sore throat, which was a completely unanticipated effect. Hmm. So sumac... Um, if you want to try this, you know, there's staghorn sumac, smooth sumac, um, 
Wing. Wing sumac. These are the ones in our area in North Carolina. Not poison sumac. Yeah, most people when they hear sumac, the first sumac you come in contact with if you're not into herbal medicine is poison sumac. These have white berries. I've yet to run into what I could I positively identify was a poison sumac. So I don't know how common they actually are. Um, but, of course, with any plant, get to know it well. I mean, you're not just going to go in and, like, oh, I guess that's the right plant and start experimenting <laughs> with it. Um, or you'll probably, I mean, you'll deserve what you get mm-hmm. <laughs> with that kind of, that level of disrespect. Get to know the plant. So positively identify the plant. Have a relationship with it. And, uh, yeah, so that's the one I testify to. When I have a smoke that I need to, you know, try to treat my lungs with or even a sore throat, sumac's my go-to plant. And I really love seeing sumac on the side of the road. That might not be the best place to gather it, um, but just seeing it reminds me of a time when I went on a, a plant hike in the mountains of North Carolina, and I didn't know this. I, I was new to all of these plants. They were complete strangers to me. And the person that was leading the hike said that you could make a sumac lemonade because the berries uh, give a citrusy taste to it. So it makes a a pink-looking sumac aid instead of lemonade. Which is another great source of vitamin C for treating a cold. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know that was medicinal. I just thought it tasted good. Um, <laughs> so Gumby was talking about smoking stuff and um, rolling joints. And this is probably, I think, the only other plant that... I mean, it might grow in our area. It might grow in your area. <laughs> if you're really lucky. If you're really lucky um, or it's maybe legal or something. But marijuana. And I am a, sorry, mom and dad, I am a convert. Um, I had never smoked marijuana before. My my friends would do it and they'd always offer it to me and I would always say no. And maybe I would get a contact high. They're probably laughing um, or have laughed at me my whole the whole time I was hanging out with them because I was high, but I never smoked it. I never smoked anything in my life, not a cigarette, nothing, not even once. And then one day I was given the opportunity and I was like, you know, what the hell? This might be the only time in my life and I'm not really working and what the hell, let's just do it. And the first time I smoked marijuana, it was... Um, just a little bit because I didn't want to overdo it and have a, like a bad time of it. But I started to really respect the power of marijuana as a, a healing plant. Um, I personally got more focused if I have a little tiny bit, like a little pinch hitter, little tiny bit. I've also experienced the power of marijuana when I've had uh, a much worse experience with alcohol and maybe Gumby can help talk about this because he was the one that helped me out. I was like, my head was on the ground. I could not get up. I was crying. I was a mess. He gave me some marijuana and it was like, a again, a switch had been flipped and I all of a sudden calmed right down. Yeah, I'd say marijuana, like one of the chief things that I know it to be medicinal for is shifting gears. Um, if you're having like a bad time or something, if you've got a hangover, if you've got a bad headache, if you've drank too much and you're like just, you know, stuck in this well of self-pity, um, smoking it, smoking marijuana can really just knock you into a new place. Now, you got to be careful with that because sometimes it can knock you into a place you don't want to be. <sighs> but if you're already in a place you really don't want to be, more often than not, I see it help people. Um, you got chronic pain, it can knock you into a place where you're just doesn't necessarily make it go away, but you handle it differently. It's easier. You're drank too much and you're feeling really bad, suddenly everything levels off. It's a really good leveling plant. To me, it's a really friendly plant. Um, now, if you're sober and you're just like, you know, kind of wanting to smoke it, you got to be careful because sometimes it can create like anxiety is one of the things like my dad had that. He'd smoke weed and, you know, it'd make him feel really paranoid. Um, so, yeah, it's a plant to be respected like all of them, but it has a unique gift. And the older I've gotten and the more I've thought about plants and legality and things like that, it seems so so strange that this is one of the, the species we've gone to war with. Mm-hmm. We try to eradicate it. I mean, this is basically a type of genocide. Um, you know, and if a field of marijuana is found, they burn it, they kill it. Like, there's something wrong with the plant. If there's people who are doing something wrong with it, which is, of course, another debate, 
You know, are there people who are doing anything wrong with it? Um, but even if there are, why blame the plant? So the whole idea of, um, you know, if you hear this and we say, oh, marijuana is a medicinal plant, and you're like, oh, I was with you until you started talking about drugs. This is just a word. It's, a, it's an arbitrary term that we use to attack one thing. And a lot of people are coming around to the medicinal uses of marijuana because they're realizing how really ugly some of the stuff that are legalized, some of the stuff you can get from a doctor, how ugly those things are. Mm-hmm. So, you know. If you're if you're having some kind of chronic pain or whatever, and you can smoke a little weed and it levels you off, just be really thankful to this beautiful plant for offering such a gift. It reminds me of the Cherokee plant medicine story. You know, I can just imagine that council of plants and marijuana saying, you know, when people are struggling, when they have screwed up the world so bad that it's turned into a nightmare and they don't know what to do with it, I'll give them a little moment to catch their breath so that maybe they can choose something different. I think marijuana is a beautiful plant. Yeah, and I was one of those people, I I won't say that I was killing plants of marijuana, but I would just kind of roll my eyes when people talked about smoking weed, and I I never wanted to be addicted to anything. That's why I never smoked cigarettes or tried drugs or anything. But I guess, I mean, like Gumby said, like coming around to the fact that our world is messed up, and if there's a plant, an all-natural plant, that can that can help take the edge off. I'm not talking about getting like, shit-faced, fucked up, and, like, just ignoring everything. Or be like the apathetic loser in the drug commercials that sits in their mom's basement for the rest of their life and has lives and has no insp- uh, aspirations. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, I guess my experience with it is it's a beautiful gift, like Gumby said. It's a beautiful gift to humanity. Thank you, marijuana. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> and another plant that I am going to talk about that I really love is red cedar. Um, this is a tree, Juniperus virginiana. We have not done a video on this yet, but maybe we will soon. Um, it's a plant that I bring up a lot in camps when I'm teaching kids. Common tree, and it tends to grow where there's disturbance. I always think of that as meaning this tree likes us. You know, when we disturb the land, this tree pops up and, like, tries to remind us, tries to help us to find our way back. Um one of the chief medicines I find for red cedar is to take its leaves and make what we call a smudge stick. I do do this with kids a lot and uh, teach them how to make a smudge stick as a practice, more in how to relate to a, a plant, how to gather in an appropriate way, how to ask permission. Um, I tell them to touch a leaf and ask permission. If they don't feel like it's right, go to another leaf. Take their time. The gathering is a really important and then we find a uh, 100% cotton string. If you get a synthetic, it'll burn black and have black smoke, uh, smell really bad. But if you get cotton, you can wrap it around, tie it tight. Um, and when it burns, it's a white smoke, doesn't smell bad, it's natural. I stick it in a paper bag. I put it on the dashboard of my car, dry it out for a week, depending on the weather. Um, sometimes a much shorter time, rarely a longer time. And then When you're ready to use it, you can just light it on fire, blow it out, let it smoke, and we pass it around the circle of kids, and they just kind of wash it over their body or take just a moment to to be still and quiet with it, and it has such a healing effect. I've heard that it helps keep bugs away. I've heard that it camouflages your scent, which makes practical sense. Um, Can't testify to that. Like, you know, I've never done an experiment to compare, like, the smudged person next to the unsmudged person as far as repelling bugs. Um, But I do find that just the practice of doing the smudge ceremony lifts my spirits. It really centers me. And when I take some of the shavings of red cedar and boil it and make a tea and mix it 50-50 with another plant we'll talk more about, um, jewelweed, I have used that as a skin wash in survival situations. 50-50 with jewelweed tea, red cedar bark tea dip my bandana in it, wipe it all over my body. I have seen that keep insects away. So, um, and red cedar, you know, if you've ever had like been around a pet hamster or or guinea pig, those chips that are often in the bottom of the cage, it smell good. That's red cedar. The reason why they use red cedar is because it's insect repellent. So that plant has a lot of gifts. I'm trying to keep it um, confined to kind of the medicinal uses, but just from a survival point of view, that plant has so many gifts. Um, the berries are said to, if you have indigestion or stomach problems, eat a couple berries that it'll make you feel better. Um, 
I think I've had that help. I'm not sure. I haven't experimented with that enough. Oh, look, an indigo bunting. Do you see it? I just saw an indigo bunting. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's no mistake in that. I was going to say where, but I see it now. <laughs> yeah, there's no mistake in an indigo bunting. Wow. So, yeah, cedar is a hugely useful, gift-giving plant. Um, I am so thankful for red cedar. Um, gosh, and I felt like there was something else I wanted to say. That indigo bunting just, like, distracted me. <laughs> screw you, indigo bunting! No, don't screw you, No, no, no. Thank you, indigo bunting. But, um, yeah. I was, I was going to say something, um, or I was actually going to ask you. So you said for making the skin wash, making the skin wash with the red cedar bark or the leaves? I've heard bark. I don't know if you could use the leaves, but I actually took a branch and just kind of shaved um, pieces of the bark mm. and the wood and boiled that to make a, a strong tea. And I'll also say, I mean, I can, I'm a witness to the effects of the smudge. And we've done this with other plants too. Oh, one more thing before I forget it again. <laughs> um, those berries are said to be poisonous. They're actually in the Peterson Field Guide um, to hazardous and I forget what it's called, but it's basically poisonous plants. Uh-huh. But they they taste so strong, I can't imagine anyone eating enough to kill themselves with. So if you eat a couple, like you got a sore stomach and see what happens, I think you'll be fine. You won't want to take a handful of these things. They flavor gin with them. Mm-hmm. They're strong. Yeah, and I've, I've popped a few berries in my mouth. Um, of course, I'm not eating them like a snack. I'm just tasting, you know, trail side nibble. And you can spit it out, I mean, once you taste it. And, I mean, I haven't died, so I think it's okay to just, if you want to experience that taste, it's, it's very unique. Um, gosh. And, the, yeah, the thing I was going to say about the kids, just passing around the smudge. And we've done smudge sticks with other plants in it, too. But... Just the the practice of passing around something, it quiets them down. They're like more open, more reverent. I don't know. It just it does a lot. It's it's a pretty amazing plant. Yeah, the practice of the smudge ceremony by itself, I'm a fan of. Even if you don't believe in any of the medicinal properties of red cedar. So another plant that has worked for me as far as flipping a switch or just calming me down almost immediately um, is passion flower. And I had this in a glycerite. It's not made with alcohol. It's made with glycerin. I don't know a whole bunch of like why you do what with what, but um, I can say that when I was working, I was starting to sink back into this horrible depression, just feeling like the world isn't quite right. I mean, can't you feel it? That's why you're probably listening to this podcast, um, Escaping Society. But I went home that day from work early, and I had already scheduled an appointment with my doctor because I wasn't sure if I was going to need to take um, antidepressant medication again in my life. But before that appointment, I'm like, what do, What can I do? I mean, I'm crying uncontrollably. I'm shaking. Like, it was just a struggle for me to get home living like four miles away from work. So I had this passion flower glycerite, and I wasn't even, I don't even know why I bought it. But I took some. And immediately, I, I had this sense of well-being. There was like a, a taste to it. It was sweet. And it was the type of sweet, not like a sugar, but just like a good memory of something amazing happening. And it just (laughs) completely flipped the switch. I stopped crying. I had a smile on my face. Like, I have a permanent frown on my face most of the time. I don't know if Gumby would have... It's true. (laughs) I've got resting bitch face. It could have something to do with me. (laughs) Oh, maybe. But yeah, I, I took that passion flower glycerite. I don't know what type of relationship the herbalist had with that plant. She didn't make it after that. I went back to get more. But it was amazing. It was night and day. I canceled my appointment with the doctor. And I thought I was going to need to start taking like a six-month dose of antidepressant and anxiety medication. And the passionflower glycerite helped me. And passionflowers are just amazing plants anyway. Mm -hmm. Also, my favorite flower just because it's so beautiful. Um, like a dancer. Yeah. So, sassafras, and I love what you said about the sweetness of a good memory. That was very poetic. Mm, the marijuana. <laughs> sassafras. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> sassafras is a plant I've had kind of a weird relationship with since before I can remember. Apparently, we had a pet rat when I was a real little kid. Don't remember it. And my parents let me name it, and I just named it sassafras. I don't know how I knew the name. We called it sassy. Um, later on in life, in my early 20s, I took a vision quest where I sat in the woods and fasted for four days, um, crying for a vision. Um, and I remember the most powerful dream I had. There were many elements to this dream, um, not all things that I think I should share. But one of the parts of the dream, I was dressed as a preacher. I had blonde hair. I was an older man, older than me at the time. Felt like a past life or something. And I was tutoring a little rich kid. I was in his mansion. And I was telling him what a great companion, a great friend that Sassafras could be. Mm. So Sassafras has come up in my life several times. It's like, pay attention to this plant. Um, we should do a video, definitely, of this plant, because IDing it is really fun, and it's pretty easy once you know what to look for. It's one of the only plants that has three different kind of leaves on the same tree. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite use for it, and there's many, is to take the root. Um, and again, you know, I'm just trying to kind of shorthand this, which maybe I shouldn't. It's probably got something to do with my culture that I try to speed things up. But when I say take the root, you know, there's a whole process in that picking the right one, asking permission, you know, feeling your way through it. Um, but taking the root, shaving off um, pieces of the root into smaller parts so you can make a stronger tea, and then boiling it until you've got like a really nice rosy red, even brownish tea sometimes. And I drank that for years. We would do classes and like show kids like, here's sassafras tree, and we'd have a little like thing of hot tea hidden, and they'd all get a little paper cup, and I would think, eh, sassafras kind of sucks. Um, they'd all want sugar in it, and I'd give them sugar and just think, ah, oh, that's kind of lame. But then one time, we made too much, and I put it in the fridge. And I didn't have anything else to drink one day. I was so sick of water, so I was like, all right, I'll try the sassafras tea. Refrigerated, it was amazing. <laughs> and it turns out it's a natural blood thinner. So in the hot summer, I have trouble with uh, heat. I can't stand heat. It makes me feel really thick and slow. I drink cold sassafras tea. It's like internal air conditioning. Um... I've even heard you should be careful drinking it in the winter because if you're already cold, it's going to make you colder. Hmm. But in the summer, man, it is my number one go-to for just like feeling cooled off because I'll get this feeling in the summer where I feel like I've been in a microwave. Like I don't even feel like it's hot outside anymore as much as the heat is in me radiating out. Mm -hmm. And then it's really hard, but sassafras dissipates that. So, so thankful for that plant. And yeah, I was with Gumby the one time we were... We were leading a small plant walk, and we came across a tribe of small sassafras trees. We're talking about, what would you say, lower, like shorter than your knee, this like the height of it, Gumby? I'm not talking about tearing up an entire tree. It's a, it's a, it is a tree, and you want to ask permission and be respectful of the, the plant, but it's a small it's a small tree. Yeah, you're asking about the size of the tree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think around here I generally see it as an understory tree. Sometimes it can reach canopy, though. But, yeah, mostly an understory tree. So a really small um, a small tree. And make sure that you're not just taking the only one. There's a, there's a lot to, you know, observing the area and asking permission. And usually there's not only one because this mm -hmm. uh, Yul Gibbons talks about this and I think stalking the wild asparagus, but he says, like, it grows different than other trees. So you're actually benefiting the tree by pruning it out now and then by mm -hmm. taking one. Um, and yeah, I always see it grow in like little, little colonies, little tribes. Mm -hmm. Another um, tea that you can make is from honeysuckle flowers. And hopefully where you're at, there's honeysuckle growing. I guess uh, there is native or there are native species of honeysuckle a lot of the times you'll see the, what is it, the Japanese honeysuckle, Gumby? Yeah, that's the foreign one, the white and yellow ones you usually see. And that's the one that we made our tea with. But it was so good. It's like drinking happiness. <laughs> and what would you say, like a, a mason jar packed full of honeysuckle flowers? Yeah, I was still uh, thinking about the drinking a penis. Anyway, oh, jeez. I'm still got Kamari, like, stuck in my head. <laughs> but yes, we would pack a mason jar, like, absolutely full of it. And then do you, um, would you recommend using hot water or making sun tea? I've heard that hot water is too strong for this. I, I haven't actually experimented with this because I've always been happy with the results of cold water or cold water infusion. 
So just pack a mason jar full of honeysuckle flowers. I don't know if I prefer yellow or white or if it matters. I haven't really experimented enough. I just grab whatever, you know, I have and fill up the jar with water. And then, like, if you want to, if you want to make a stronger tea, put it in the sun. If not, just put it anywhere. And the cold infusion brings out enough of the honeysuckle that if I... Am I getting into what you want to talk about? No. Okay, if I take that and strain it, or even don't strain it and put it in the fridge, drink it cold, it's my number two behind sassafras for internal air conditioning. It'll cool you right the hell down in summer. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And I'll just add that if it gets to be too strong, let's say you make a sun tea with it and you're like, whoa, that is like perfume. So just take a little bit and then dilute it down with water. And I think that would be just as good and you'll have it for a longer time. Mm-hmm. And mint is another plant I want to talk about. Um, I love the whole mint family, but if you're lucky enough to find like field mint or spearmint, um, lemon balm, any of those really strong ones that get grown in uh, herbal gardens, those are so good. And you can find them out in the wild sometimes. Um, and for me, that's my go-to plant for stress and headaches, stress-related things. Just the smell of that, even before I make the tea, while I'm making the tea, the whole process of making the tea, it's not just drinking the tea. That's just the culmination, but the process leading up to it also, the whole thing just relaxes me. Mint just exudes peace for me. Um, If I smell mint, it just takes me back to like peaceful thoughts, peaceful memories. So that is a a plant with a huge gift for me um, of just like relaxing me. Mm-hmm. And we actually oh, and helping me sleep. And we actually did a sun and moon tea experiment with the kids in camp the one week. So we were teaching an animism camp, and the kids asked the mint plant, like, "May I, may I have some of your leaves?" And we put some in two mason jars, mm-hmm. filled it with water, set one out in the sun, and then took it down before the moon before it saw the moon and then we put the moon tea out when the moon came up and you could well I could actually taste a difference from the sun and the moon tea it was not only just a stronger tea for the sun tea but the moon tea had a different uh for lack of better words I'm gonna sound a little new agey but it had a different energy to it I could tell that it was infused by the moon and no it was a uh, blind blind taste test we didn't know which one was which until Gumby said he was going to go get the sun tea in the kitchen. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm like building up this big mystery with the kids of, you don't know what kind of tea this is. I'm about to give you the second one. And then I forget for a second and go in the kitchen. I'm like, oh, all right, I'm going to go grab the sun tea. And then <laughs> I realize what I said, so I come back out in the classroom. Or am I? <laughs> I think it worked because half the group still thought it was the other kind of tea. But anyway. Oh, oh my goodness. So another um, another plant, and we've mentioned it, jewelweed. Oh, my gosh. This is such an amazing plant. We've got a video on it. Um, different times of year, it looks different. So we're hoping to make maybe another video with it in flower. But jewelweed is a great plant for your skin. And it is often growing along or right within po- patches of poison ivy. And Gumby's going to talk about that. But taking the the stalk of the jewelweed and just rubbing it on your skin, um, it's kind of like aloe feeling. It'll help with uh, skin irritation. Yeah, and uh, are you done with jewelweed? Yes. Well, add to it if you'd like. Um, yeah, jewelweed is like a really good plant. I don't know if that can really add much to, to what Teresa said. When I was a hobo, and sometimes I'd find myself in places that, uh, that like, I couldn't find water to wash up in very good, but I'd find jewelweed sometimes. So my big relationship with this plant is crushing it up, and just gel would come out of it, like aloe lotion. And we, I'd just rub it all over my skin, and it would soothe me. It would just make my skin feel like it came alive. I'd feel refreshed. So jewelweed has been a longtime friend of mine. Um, also I would chop it up when it come in the spring and get kind of tall into little parts. So it'd be stronger, boil it in a pot of, uh, water until I got like a brownish or orangish tea. Mm-hmm. And that was about halfway down. So I'd start with a pot full of water. It boiled down till it was halfway down and then put it in ice cube trays when it was cool enough and freeze it. Cause what I found my big use for jewelweed is mostly poison ivy back when I was getting that a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I would get that 
when jewelweed wasn't around, I'd get it early in the spring when the sap was just starting to run, run, or late in the autumn when the leaves had fallen, and I'd interact with the, the hairy vine. Um, and I'd get it bad when I was a kid. So when I got old enough to know about jewelweed, I wanted the ice cubes at those times. So I learned that I couldn't find jewelweed at those times. So freeze it, keep it, you've got it all year. And some people I've heard will heat it back up because the steam will open pores. So they like to treat themselves that way. I would just rub the ice cube on. Um, I'm not sure if one's more powerful than the other because I haven't experimented. But yeah, that's basically my, like jewelweed, whenever I see it, I feel like I'm among friends. I know that's a plant that can definitely make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Anything wrong with your skin, I've heard it's good for. Sunburns, anything. And the final plant is one that's near and dear to Gumby's heart. Yeah, so our final plant um, is poison ivy, toxicodendron radicans. Um, if you're in the southeast, at least in North Carolina, a lot of people believe there's poison sumac, which according to the range maps there is, but I'll tell you, I've never run into one. And some people talk about poison oak. It's not North Carolina. Poison oak is more of a northern thing, definitely a western thing, but not a southeastern thing so much, at least not in North Carolina. You run into a three-leaf plant with that middle stem that's longer, often shiny if it's young, often with a couple teeth on the outside leaves at least, and uh, yeah, leaves of three sometimes coming out of a hairy vine, you probably got poison ivy, radic- toxicodendron radicans. I've heard that the urushiol, the active ingredient that people are allergic to, is um, half the population, the human population, is allergic to it, and one teaspoon could infect everybody on the globe that's allergic to it. It's a really potent chemical this plant carries. Um, We have a video on poison ivy, and I guess I'll try not to talk too much about it because I talk a lot about it in that video. But I used to hate the plant because twice a year, like I said, early in the spring, in the autumn when I'd be climbing on the vines and didn't recognize the hairy vines, I'd get poison ivy so bad my eyes would swell shut. I'd be like out of commission for a week, and it was a week of hell. I hated being in my own body. None of my friends would go in the woods with me were allergic to poison ivy, and I thought it was so freaking unfair because I loved the woods. I wanted to live out there. They were just like walking through the woods, and I'd be the one getting poison <laughs> ivy. Um, so that was a big struggle when I was a kid. I, I look at it now, and I feel like poison ivy was maybe testing me because I've heard of some indigenous tribes that think of it as the chief of the protector plants. So ecologically, when you look at what poison ivy does, if an area gets disturbed, it's one of the first plants that moves in. It's kind of a keep out sign until the trees and the little young plants get old enough and strong enough to protect themselves. You don't see poison ivy so much in old growth. Um, You'll see it in stream beds. And again, it's not all human cause. Sometimes the water itself is a disturbance. So Mm -hmm. poison ivy, you know, comes in and tries to kind of protect it, the roots and everything. It holds everything together. Um, So yeah, now I have a lot of respect for it. And medicinally, I've found, I got poison ivy one time when I was working at Schoolhouse of Wonder, and one of the teachers there, I'll just call him Wayne, um, gave me a tiny little trifoliate of the leaf that was just starting to come up in the spring and said, eat this. And he said it with such authority, I just stuck it in my mouth and ate it. (laughs) And I was scared. I thought it was like taking a hit of acid. I was waiting for shit to get really weird on me. But it didn't, you know, and I... Didn't get any more poison ivy for the rest of the year. So I started making that a routine. And sure enough, as soon as I started doing that, if I get poison ivy, it's a small patch that goes away quick. Not the, like, eye-swollen-shut stuff I used to get routinely. So for me, I'm convinced. And uh, one of the ways you know that you've taken too much, I've heard you can get an itchy bump in your mouth, but everybody I know gets the second symptom, which is an itchy butt. So you eat it, goes through your system, hits that... Um, delicate membrane around your anus and you get a itchy butt. But it's not like poison ivy. It's just, just kind of like you got to squirm a little bit. <laughs> but if you got poison ivy, like I had poison ivy, it's worth it mm-hmm. to have a day of like just slightly itchy butt than ha- to be out of commission for a week. Um, I found that now that I've gotten older, if I take it for one day, I get that symptom. So I don't know if maybe poison ivy has told me I don't need it anymore or what. But that's the symptom I look for. I've heard of bad things happening if people don't pay attention to when to stop and keep going. Some herbalists even say you should have a coach. I didn't have one, but if you're not willing to listen closely and believe what you hear, you might want a coach because this plant will knock you on your ass if you treat it disrespectfully. Mm. It's a powerful plant. It's the chief of the protector plants. Yeah, and we're um, we're actually going to 
end this podcast um, shortly. We're actually going to do a part two because there's so much we want to talk about with herbalism and plants and animism and all of that. And we've been trying to figure out how to get these down to an hour. And like, <laughs> this is like, we're going to see how this works. So we're going to have like a bonus episode, herbalism unplugged part two. But just to end on that poison ivy. Wow. I don't even think, well, Gumby doesn't think I'm allergic. I don't think I'm allergic. I've never gotten it. And I'm, I guess, traipsing around in the woods enough now that maybe I will. But I definitely have respect for poison ivy. And in a in a very reverent way. Again, I just, I don't want to sound too frou-frou or anything, but I think it's important to recognize that this plant in particular, it it can teach us so much. And I hate it when people talk about like how they're killing poison ivy because they want to garden there or it's doing this or doing that. Um, but I feel your pain. We had poison ivy starting to crop up under one of my favorite trees in our backyard at the last place we lived. And I was frustrated. But at the same time, what a better lesson. Like if you got kids going to a playground to teach them how to identify it and respect it, to teach them that you have such a reverence for nature, that you're not that arrogant human being that went to war with the animals in the plant Cherokee story, that you're the one the plants believe will come back around that's got a fucking head on their shoulders and might say, wow, as someone who doesn't own the whole freaking planet, maybe this is poison ivy's property. Let's just work with that. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about the problems you have with that, it's all got to do with human invention, shit we made up. It doesn't have anything to do with nature. So... I feel like poison ivy is just an endless teacher of profound things from awareness to philosophy to, yeah, I've learned to love that plant that tortured me so much when I was a kid. You even got a tattoo. I've even got a tattoo of poison <laughs> ivy. Um, I got the tattoo one time when I learned about jewelweed and I was a grave digger and I was printing plants, little juniper plants. And I saw poison ivy and I was like, screw it. I know jewelweed. I know the cure. So I'll just tear that up with my bare hands. I don't need gloves. <laughs> yeah, and I went home and my hands swole up like I tried to write in my journal and blisters would pop and spread pus all over the oh page I mean it was disgusting <laughs> and jewelweed would not touch it and that's when I learned jewelweed was the cure for poison ivy not stupidity and I had a bad <laughs> case of stupidity so that's the day that my whole like attitude towards poison ivy shifted and I got the tattoo soon after that. It was a profound teacher and has always been since. And just like how we talked about at the beginning of this episode, that we're all a part of this system, this earth, this just amazing mystery of life. And so there's long story short, what a great way to remind us of <laughs> what poison ivy. Yes, I know I said long story short. So Yes, poison ivy, reminding us of that. There's a reason and a place for so many of our fellow species and beings. And that's our laundry list for our favorite plants. So uh, tune in to part two when we'll talk about a lot of the things behind, like plant medicine. Um, tips, books, resources, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and we mentioned a lot our YouTube channel. I think it's easiest to find it under Gumby's name. Can I give him... Sure. Gumby, G-U-M-B-Y, like the green guy, but he's not named after him. And Montgomery, like the capital of Alabama, right? Yeah. And if you look on our website, escapingsociety.weebly.com, you'll also see some of the YouTube videos we have recently made, and we'll hope to add more. Um, but check out those uh, plants that we mentioned. We have a lot of videos there. And uh, our blog for the Mountains to the Sea Trail. Um as well as just all sorts of good information. There's even links to movies and documentaries now that we recommend. And if you have any questions, comments, or whatever, you just want to connect with us, we also have a contact form on our website. And Gumby, anything else? No, just uh, see you next time. Tune in for part two. Thanks.